There are tears on my pillow that won't dry on their own beyond my ears. I've no sorrow, but today I don't walk alone. All right, everybody. Welcome to Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Do you have a joke, Joseph? Yeah. All right, Joseph's going to come up and tell a joke. Hey, yo, it's Joey here with a, another amazing, some say, joke for you all. Hello, everyone. Get ready. Put your laugh hats on because it's about to get nuts in here. So this joke is for all you science fans. Huge fan of science myself. Anyway, all right, here we go. Two hydrogen atoms walk into a bar. One says, I've lost my electron. The other says, are you sure? The first replies, yes, I'm positive. Thank you, Joey. Um, I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is James. Thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that might make noise and distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Everybody ready? We'll start then.
Um, so we're going to say the fog light prayer. Traditionally, we have it on a poster, but because we're upstairs tonight, I don't have one. So just follow along with me. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light. So those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. Uh, there is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Kristen to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important. So let's welcome up Kristen. Kristen, I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. <clears throat> Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist Williams James calls the educational verity because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alter, alter, alternation in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by his, himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. <clears throat> With few exceptions, our members find that they have taped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of, the, of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar, bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is content prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you, Kristen. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so turn your phones off or put them on silent. Uh, we have Pat Rogan here for, I believe, either six or seven sessions. Let's give a round of applause for Pat. Thank you, sir. 
a recovered alcoholic. My name is Pat. And thanks to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous outlined in this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the program of AA, uh, I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And for that, I'll be forever grateful. Uh, AA didn't just save my life, but it surely gave me a new life worth living, and I absolutely enjoy it. And uh, I think I have, I think Mike said I had six left, five after this, I think. I don't know. I lose track. Yeah. <laughs> but we're, we have landed uh, at the fifth step. And, and up, until, uh, up until now, uh, aside from the first two steps, you know, these two conclusions, this ad- admission of this uh, facing defeat and admit- admitting defeat, and, uh, and the second step appealing to a power greater than you in power uh, to relieve our, our alcoholism, uh, Two requirements, by the way, for a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening. You know, there's no requirement for membership in AA, but there surely is a requirement for a spiritual awakening. And, and those are seen to be two of them, right? You know, facing defeat and admitting defeat and, uh, and then appealing to a deity for an answer. And uh, without that, nothing. I mean, why do this? You know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I got involved in this because I was desperate because I had no other way out. And I was willing to try anything. And, and I really just took a... Uh, a, a great leap of faith, you know, uh, blind faith, if you will, uh, that uh, that this might work for me, you know. And we were talking about that on the way over here. I got a call from from a young lady who was really struggling, and I don't know why she called me, but uh, <laughs> what answer I had for her. But uh, but you know, I I, I was uh, talking last night at the one hundred and one, and uh, and it's it's uh, another fellowship, a CA fellowship, and. Uh, and I said, you know, I, all I could do, I, I was sitting there and I was saying this to her on the way over here that I don't, I know that it sounds crazy that working these steps, that making a decision to work these steps and putting something on paper, putting what your thoughts are on paper is going to solve your problem with your boyfriend, you know, or fiance, whatever it was, and, and, and can help you get your place back and, and help you not lose your children. Uh, I, I, that just sounds crazy when you get here, right? That, that uh, and I've actually been in some newcomers meetings. Uh, Friday night, I do a meeting at uh, at uh, my wife's fraction resort, and uh, and 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 one of the one of the women there shared that uh, what is putting what is, are the what do these steps have to do with my problems in life? Right. Like like they you just don't see it. Right. I mean, because what's going through your head is is all this crap. This and, and all you hear from me is Charlie Brown's teacher. Really. Right. You know, wah, 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 wah. And you're and I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking, my God, I'm going to lose the house. My God, she's, you know, filing another lawsuit. You know, I got a restraining or I get this restraining order lifted. Somehow I got to get my kids back. How is how are those 12 steps going to help with that? And it's it's a huge Leap of blind faith, you know, and, and that's exactly what I said to her. I, I didn't think it would work for me either, but I'm sitting in a meeting with people who shot dope, who smoked crack, who drank themselves to their damn near to death, and none of them are using. And some of them have 15, 20, 25 years. So I'm sitting in a meeting last night. That tells you something, right? That, I mean, there's something here, right? And, I, and, I, and the reason why that even came up is because I was talking about Bill looking at Ebby and, and going, I don't want to hear what you have to say 
But damn it, there's something different about you. <laughs> you know, there's something in your eyes. What they say? You're, you're more than inwardly reorganized. Your roots are grasping a new soil. You know, that boy's on fire. You know, I don't want to hear what you, I don't want to hear your solution. But damn it, I need what you got. You, you know, <laughs> and, and that's where I was. Like, I, I don't, I'm desperate. I'm desperate. And I'm willing to try this. And, and, and that third step is that. It's just this blind leap that, okay, maybe... Maybe you got something here because I heard your story and you were as hopeless as I am and you seem to have recovered. And so I'm going to try it. And, and, and really we've, we've, uh, it, it, the, the whole process, the, the decision was to find out the truth about ourselves, right? I mean, that's really what the fourth step is really all about. You know, what's the truth? The, the third step tells me that I'm selfish and I'm self-centered and I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-pity, self-delusion, And in trying to satisfy these instinctual drives that I'm driven by, driven by, they're driving me. The satisfaction of these instinctual drives are driving me. I put myself in conflict with everybody and everything. I put myself in conflict with God, put myself in conflict with you, and I'm conflicted. And I feel like I'm a victim. Full of self-pity. If you had my life, you'd drink too. If you had my wife, you'd drink too. You know, and I stop at Brady's Lounge, and the group, the group conscience gets together, you know, and, and we decide that, yes, that's the deal. Did I, did I tell you that story, how I ended up in here? Right? I went to the group conscience. I had, I had gotten a restraining order placed on me. I had to stay away from my house, my house, right? Not our house, my house, right? My name was on the house, right? It was my house, right? The group conscience and I decided that, right? And, and, and in this group conscience, what we decided was that you're going to go home and take control because you're the king of the castle. And that's your house. Her name's not even on that house. And you're going to defy that restraining order and take back what's rightfully yours. And we hugged and we, you know, high-fived. I love you, man. And I went home and I took back my house, you know. And then the Coral Springs police showed up. And I didn't even know they had that many cars. <laughs> I mean, they had SWAT teams out there and shit. Somebody must have mentioned that I had a weapon in the house, you know, which was true. But I'm sure it was her. And, uh, and I was escorted from the property. And that whole plan that we had derived, and I ended up in a hotel room for three weeks before I landed here, you know, trying to justify my behavior, trying to get absolution through the freaking bottle, you know. And, and that's the way my life was. Get permission through the bottle, get absolution through the bottle. And three weeks into that run, I want to kill myself. I want out. I can't get relief in the bottle anymore, and I can't live the way I am. And I end up here, and I'm desperate. I desperately want an answer. I always say, thank God I didn't walk into a Harry Krishna meeting or something, because I'd be shave my head, put a robe on, and give me a tambourine, put me on a corner somewhere. I'm down. Yeah. I was, I'm kind of grateful that I ended up in AA. I wasn't when I got here. But, you know, now I look back and I go, thank God I ended up in AA. You know, we actually have fun here. But I was desperate, right? And the decision was to see if that's true. Is that true what they're saying? That I have perverted these God-given instinctual drives so badly that it's put me in conflict and everything? My, my demands on everybody and everything around me? The demand for attention, the demand for the material, the demand for the relational. That I have taken these to an extreme, and in doing that, I put myself in conflict with everybody and everything. 
Is that true? And I think the fourth step was, what about, is that true? Find out if that's true. Remove the things that are blocking me from the sunlight, right? The book's telling me that what's blocking me from the sunlight, what's killing me, is that I'm selfish and I'm self-centered. And only God can remove that. That I'm incapable of reeling that in. And the fourth step surely exposed that. You know, and I shared with you guys the last couple of weeks, I had an experience in my fourth step. I really started to get relief just writing it down. I'm glad I didn't settle. You know, I'm glad I didn't settle because I could have. You know, I, I, I found a tool called prayer. It seemed to work on people I even hated. That's incredible. Right? Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that if you prayed for somebody you disliked, that you would come to understand and like them. Or maybe not. All right, maybe like them's too much. You know? Understand and find forgiveness. And treat them as we would a sick person, as we are. I started to get relief from the resentments, from the fear, from the anxiety. And the truth is, I, I was a volunteer, not a victim. That's the truth. I thought I was a victim when I got here. The truth is I was a volunteer. I put myself in. Every time I got harmed, I put myself in a position to be harmed. Even when I was minding my own business and the police just decided to harass me for no reason. I put myself in that position. Even when I walked in the bar and got my ass kicked, I put myself in a position to get my ass kicked. That everything was my fault. That's a, that's a tough lesson. This is all my fault. I didn't have to get like three or four things on my resentment list, get into that fourth column and, and see, you know, what did I do to set the ball rolling? You know, I had to get down like three or four of them to go, holy shit, this is all my fault. All of it. You know? And now they want me to confess it. Oh, my God. Step five. That's the one I, was looking, I wasn't looking forward to. I was looking ahead. I was cheating. I looked at five, and I looked at nine, and I went, oh, shit. You know, five, I mean, I was, I was a little kid that confessed. I lied in confession. You know, I lied in confession, right? We, I wanted to be liked and accepted by the freaking priest. You know what I mean? Like, I would, I would take a consensus of the kids around me. How many lies you got? Yeah. Did you steal at all? Did you got any stealing stuff going on? Yeah. And I would see what the average was, you know, because I wanted to be normal. I didn't, want, you know, I didn't want to be a criminal, and I knew I couldn't go in there and say I never lie or I never. You know, so I would just make stuff up. I, I was the kid who left confession with guilt, you know, like holy shit, I just lied to the priest, you know. Surely going to the fire. We were, uh, I was, uh, I don't know, about a year ago. I was sitting in the workshop. That we do on Thursday nights, which I miss dearly, by the way. Uh, we take people through the steps in five weeks at this workshop. And, uh, and I use this bootleg book, this uh, first edition that we uh, that AA lost the copyright to. And so Anana Press prints the, the, forward, the first edition in, this, in these books. They're allowed to sell it. But uh, I, I use it because the original manuscript's in there. Right? And so I get to see the changes that take place in the book. While they're reading from the script, I get to see what's changed. And, and one of the things that I just picked up, I mean, I've been around for a few decades, right? 
And, and, and I'm reading this, and we're in, going into the fifth step, and it, and it says at the end of the fourth step, right, that uh, I'll read the whole paragraph. In this book, you read again and again that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves, right? We hope that you're convinced now that he can remove that self-will that has blocked you off from him, right? So we come in here, we have everything we need, we're just blocked, Right? There's a deep down within us, every one of us is the fundamental idea of God. Call it your conscience, your soul, common sense, knowing right from wrong, call it whatever you want to call it. But it's there. Yeah. Unless you're a sociopath, you, you feel guilt or, or shame or remorse. Right? And it's, this becomes a program of subtraction. We come in here with everything we need. Now we need to remove the things that are blocking me. And Bill talks about the three forms of spiritual sickness, right? In, in anger. Resentment and anger, fear, and guilt, remorse, and shame, right? Incorrect thinking, incorrect actions, and uh, incorrect feelings, right? So you've made your, you have made a decision, step three, and you've made an inventory of your grosser handicaps, step four. You have made a good beginning, for you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. And then this line jumps out of me that's not in our, in our book. It, it's not in any of our books, right? It says, are you willing to go on? They should ask me that question because I really wasn't willing to go on. I'm, I'm like, okay, right? I don't need to confess this. You know? Then why would I want to do that? Why, why would I want to? Why would I want to relive this with somebody else? And by the way, that's why in an inventory we list our our resentments and our fears and our harms top to bottom because we're doing an inventory, and an inventory by definition is a list of items. We're going to relive it in five. We're going to read it left to right in five and relive the events in five. We don't want to relive it in four. And I think I got caught up so much into the fourth step that I forgot what I was even trying to do. I forgot what this whole thing was about. And they remind us in the first paragraph in, the fifth, in, in uh, chapter six. It says, haven't made an inventory. What should we do about it? We've been trying to get a new attitude and a new relationship with our creator. That, that's been the whole point of the exercise. I thought it was to get over them. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to get over them. I'm starting to let that anger go. I'm starting to, to find tools to deal with the fear. I'm starting to see where I've harmed other people. I see it. I thought that was the point of the exercise. The point of the exercise was to remove the things that are blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit and get a new attitude and a new relationship with God. For lack of a better term, our creator. That's the whole point of the exercise. We've admitted we were what we're trying to do is discover the obstacles in the path. We've admitted defects. We've got a, We've ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. This requires action. Which means we are admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being. God for forgiveness, to ourselves for understanding and freedom, liberation, right? And another person for some direction. And maybe, maybe another point of view, right? What I write down in my... my interpretation of what took place can be garbled and can be justification in some cases. I need another point of view. I need, someone, I need an outsider to take a look at what I've written down. 
And what they'll do, they'll tell me, what you know, no, you're wrong. That wasn't the social instinct. That was your security instinct that you were trying to satisfy there. And, and get clear on the real nature of the wrongs. And then he goes on to warn us that if we don't do this, we may not stay sober. It's funny how uh, we were talking before the meeting about how this thing is living, how this, this book is a living document like other books that are in this room. You know, they just, they, the meanings seem to change. The words don't change, but what they mean to me change. And what's important to me changes, you know, what jumps out at me changes. I think it was, I think I was 20 some years sober when I saw him mention humility three times in the next paragraph. I didn't even notice that ever, right? Obviously it says the best reason we do this, because if we don't, if we skip this step, we may not overcome drinking. But time after time, the newcomer tries to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they turn to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk, having persevered with the rest of the program, wonder why they fell. We think the reason is they never completed their housekeeping. They took inventory, but hung on some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They had not learned enough humility. Well, they only thought they had humbled themselves. But they had not learned enough humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense that we find necessary until they told someone all their life story. It mentions humility three times in one paragraph. My favorite definition of humility is in the uh, 12 and 12. It's on, I think it's on page 53, if I'm, not, if I'm correct. A clear recognition of exactly who and what I am. To paraphrase it, right? The, a clear recognition of exactly who and what I am and what I can be with God's help. Sounds like six and seven. Sounds like the conversation that we're going to get into six and seven. This is who I really am. I need to know who I really am. And what I can become with God's help. And the the thing that becomes, I, I don't know if I shared it last week, the thing that became just obvious in my fourth step is that the tools that I had to live life Consisted of dishonesty, inconsideration, selfishness, fear. Those are the tools that I had to deal with life. Those are the tools that I used to satisfy those instinctual drives. That's how I got you to like me. I lied to you. That's how I got the material needs satisfied. I cheated. I lied. I did whatever it take to get advancement. I did whatever it did to, take, to make money. I'll slander you if it means I'll get your job. That's how I filled my sexual needs. That's how I filled, filled, filled my relational needs. I created this fake self, this first date self, that I wanted you to think I was, then tried to live up to that image that I created on the first date. But eventually you knew, you find out who I really am. Those were the tools. And I don't know where I learned those tools. Not, how I'm sure, not sure how I learned those tools. But that became honest. That became obvious. So the book is a little dated in, some of the, in this area a little bit when it comes to, to finding a, who you're going to do this with. Obviously, you're going to do it with your sponsor. You know. Or some great suggestions. A member of the clergy, priest, rabbi, minister, psychologist, psychiatrist, uh, Somebody you can trust for sure. Uh, if you can't trust your sponsor, uh, 
which I didn't. <laughs> I, I, you know, look, I used to sit at Denny's with you guys talking about everybody in those meetings. You know, I kind of thought that if I wasn't there, you were going to be talking about me. You know, uh, gossip kills in these rooms. Stop it. Stop it. If they're not there, don't talk about them. That's the rule I have. If they're not sitting at the table, we don't talk about them. That's the deal. But the gossip kills here. And by the way, if you're, we've been entrusted like in a sacred, sacred way when it comes to a fifth step. We do stuff that is usually reserved for priests and rabbis and ministers and psychologists and psychiatrists. We get to do something that very few people do. That's an honor. That's, that's sacred. And that trust is sacred. And if you ever break that trust, you're useless here. And I don't even mean in a specific way. I mean in a general way. There's somebody who, uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but there's somebody in this program I really look up to and I love. And I, you know, I, I chase him around. I'm a speaker stalker, and he's one of them guys that I stalk. And I love his message. And I believe he's honorable and, and, and means well and, and walks the spiritual path as well as any of us can, right? Because we're all broken. <laughs> and, and someone was sitting in a meeting and heard him share someone's, a part of someone's fifth step and thought it was theirs. Right? They probably imagined. Right? There was no names mentioned. But it was a specific incident that this guy felt that he had shared with him. And you know where that rumor went. So-and-so shared my fifth step from the podium. Right? Now, nobody knew who he was sharing about. But, but you see where I'm going with this. I won't even share in a general way anything anybody's ever shared with me because of that. Because I don't want them to think that I'm talking about them. Or even, or even insinuate that I was talking about them. Because that trust is sacred. And if you lose it, like I say, if you can't hear fifth steps here, you can't sponsor people. Which means you're useless here. And you're jeopardizing your own sobriety, not just somebody else's. You know? Was that a little strong, useless? <laughs> you either live this thing or you die in this thing. I mean, you're gonna, what, are you going to live a life of quiet desperation or do you want more? You know? I always say, we're, we're, I don't know where I read it, we're either progressing or regressing. There is no gressing. <laughs> we're growing or dying. You know, that's the way this thing works. We're gonna, we'll go over that in the 10th step, right? We're, either, we're, we're resting on our laurels. We're going backwards or forwards. There's no, sta- there's no stagnancy in, in recovery. You're either living this thing or you're not. You're either living it in 10, 11, or not, 12, or you're not. So my point is, make sure you can trust somebody when you pick somebody that you're going to do your fifth step with. Now, I got, I got trust issues. You know, imagine that. Most of us do. Look, if you can't trust the two people you should have been able to trust unconditionally in your life, you don't trust too many people moving forward. You know, I'm around a lot of untrustworthy people you know, growing up. You know, they lie. They tell you they're going to be there. They don't show up. They don't do what they say. Everybody lies. Everybody cheats. Everybody runs. You know, that's the world that I grew up in. grew up in a very violent a very My uncle, my grandparent, my, my grandfathers, both my grandfathers. My father, all violent guys. Who do you trust? Trust no one. That was was what I was taught. You trust no one. 
So, like I said, I'm sitting at Denny's listening to you guys talk about other people, and I'm going, this ain't happening. I'm not doing this fifth step with this guy. And as much as I owe Brian my life, I wasn't going to do a fifth step with him. You know? He laughs about it now. I laugh about it now. He, 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 was, he would have been worthy. It was me, not him. It was, it was all on me, not on him. You know? I had no reason not to trust him. I just don't trust people. So I'm, so I'm a member of this men's group, this hardcore men group. So a lot of you have probably heard this story. It's called the Boca Boys Club. They were in Deerfield, and they were a bunch of old men. So I don't know where the name came from. They eventually moved to Boca. But uh, they were where I learned how to behave in AA. That's, that's where I learned how to show up in AA. They were the guys that you wore a collared shirt if you were at the podium. You did not show up in a T-shirt. And it better be clean. You know, and don't come up with some holes in your jeans and stuff like that and think you're going to chair our meeting. You know, I mean, you were going to show up the way you're, you know, their, their thing was, and I've heard Pete say it, that this is sacred. You know, you, you don't, you don't show up here just looking like a bum. I said, well, I worked all day, carry another shirt with you, you know, keep a shirt in the car. You know? And they just, they, you know, dis- structure, discipline, you know, I'm an undisciplined child when I get here. Nobody ever told me what to do. I had no parental guidance in my life. My mother, thank I mean, thank God for my mother, and God bless her, trying to raise four kids on her own you know, with a deadbeat dad who was never around. So I had no structure, no discipline in my life. And you guys are coming in here telling me what I need to do, what I have to do. I'm like, F you. Yeah. So I asked if I could chair the meeting one time. They said, yeah, you could chair. I said, well, I'm not going to be. I'm, they had the desk here, and they had a bunch of desks over there, a bunch of tables. And I said, I'm just going to sit at the table over here and chair. Instead of up there. I go, no, if you're going to chair the meeting, you've got a chair up there. I go, what is the difference between sitting up there and chair in the meeting and sitting here and chair in the meeting? He says, the difference is, Pat, that you can't chair from there. <laughs> and I, I, you, know, you know, and I left. I left the meeting. You know? Like, who are these, who are these that tell me what to do? Right? I come back the next week and I said, can I chair still? And they said, yeah, sure. You just sit over there. And I said, yeah, that'd be fine. You know? <laughs> and that's, that's all they were trying to do was get me to follow some simple directions and put some freaking structure in my life. You know? I show, not show up at the meeting and you won't call. Why didn't you call somebody? What, what, are, you, what are you, my probation officer? You know? No, look, you call. If you're not going to show up at your home group, you call. We care about you. We want to know that you're okay. Call somebody in this group and tell them you're not going to be here. Okay, yeah. and God forbid you don't call, I'm telling you. And I'm like that now. I'm like that. You don't chair my home group without a collar. You know, don't even get up there with some T-shirt. I'll, I have a shirt in a car, I'll go get you. Yeah. But I mean, that's the way it should be, right? I mean, that's the way it should be, I think. Yeah. They were tough, man. They'd shut you up in the middle of a chair. You'd be sharing about your wife or something. Enough. You know, that's not the topic you know yeah but you want to talk about your wife one more time you know come to the dinner before the meeting or we'll stay after the meeting and we'll spend hours with you they used to we go to they, dominic's in boca they used to go to dominic's in boca before the meeting two hours before the meeting by the way you know and you needed no money you just if you wanted to talk about your ex or your girl or your, whatever was going on, you showed up at the pizza joint and you could dump anything you wanted at the table at the pizza shop. Didn't need any money. The guys that had money would throw twenties in after the day, and the waiter'd walk around, walk away with seventy five hundred dollar tips. 
you know. But you didn't have to. Have, but that's where they want. They would let you talk about that stuff. But in the meeting, we're talking about recovery. You know, and if you go off tangent, they'll just shut you up. You know? <laughs> Old Bud Reichardt you know, used to throw his cigarettes on. You knew shit was coming when he throw his cigarettes on the table. That was when we smoked in the meeting. You'd see that pack of cigarettes. Son of a bitch. And throw it on the table. <laughs> One of the lines I just loved from him. And I mean, it's off topic, but, you know, don't tell me you're grateful. Show me you're grateful. Gratitude's an action. Show me you're grateful. I'll never forget him for that. You know, he's just a great guy. Anyways, they're on me about doing this fifth step. And, uh, and I'm hesitant. And I figured, you know what? I was raised Catholic. A priest by law can't say anything. So I'll do it with a priest. So I call, I'm in Coral Springs. I call St. Andrew's Church at 11 o'clock at night thinking nobody will answer the phone. Then I can tell these idiots that I tried to do it and nobody was home, you know. And, uh, and Father Quinn picks up the freaking phone. And uh, I said, I'm an alcoholic. Oh, and you want to do a fifth step? He said, be in my office tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, right? That was probably the worst Irish accent ever. But, you know, I'm, at, I'm in Father Quinn's office at 9 o'clock the next morning. I spent two and a half hours with Father Quinn, and my life forever changed. I had no idea. There's that blind faith again, that you just have to believe us. You just have to be willing to believe us. You don't have to have any faith in the process. You don't have to even know that it will, just believe me that you will get results. I'm living proof. Can't prove it to you, but I'm living proof. We have a lot of living proof in this room. People whose lives were a mess and followed this program of action and recovered. I left his office, and this sounds weird, and I, I never heard anybody that uh, had the same experience that I had uh, until recently. I was up at, uh, I think about four or five years ago, we were up at General Service Office in New York, and I was waiting to go on the tour uh, at, at GSO, and I read Marty Mann's story while I was sitting there. And Marty Mann had the same experience. Uh, first woman to stay sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I left there, and I'm looking around, and everything was fluorescent green. It was the first time in my life that I felt at peace, like, like, like I had been reborn, like, like a dark, dark to light, like I'm in the light for a change. You know? The forehead's unwrinkled. You know that, that look, right, that wrinkled forehead look, hanging in there look, that look? Yeah, yeah. How you doing? I'm hanging in there. You know, almost got another 24. You know, that was done. That was gone. You know, like uh, there was a sense of relief. Like that's behind me now, and I'm moving forward. I never had that feeling before. You know, like it was like the slate was clean. You know? And I'm looking around, and everything's fluorescent. The, the trees and the bushes, everything's this fluorescent green. The flowers are fluorescent colors. I'm going back to work, and I'm looking around. And these freaking trees are everywhere, you know? And, and it dawns on me that I've been looking at asphalt and bumpers my whole life. Anybody else walk with their head down, staring at the ground, never acknowledging anybody around, not even a head bob, not even, you know, not even one of those, right? Just looking at the asphalt, focused on where my next drink, where my next drug was coming from. How do I get through this freaking day so that I can get some relief? 
I would sit at a red light, and I would look at that light. When that light goes yellow, I know this one's going green. So come on, yellow. Come on, yellow. You know, yellow's coming soon. There's yellow. You know, and just, you could have died in the car beside me. I would have never noticed. You know, I was just focused on where I was going, what I needed to get done. First time in my life, I was free of that. I'm just looking around going, oh, my God. I mean, I, I, I'm going home that night. There's this gorgeous sunset, right? And I, look, I go to the toll booth, and I look at the lady, and I go, look at that. She goes, what? I said, look at that. And she goes, it's a sunset. It's there every night. <laughs> I had been driving that Sawgrass Expressway for 12 years. I never saw it. Never saw it. Dark to light, like a Lazarus moment, man. Yeah. It was amazing. God went from my head to my heart that day. God went from a thought to a feeling. I haven't had the obsession to drink. Now, I'm not telling you I haven't thought about it because my mind, in the back of my mind, my mind still knows the relief that comes in that third drink. I still remember, like it was yesterday, getting halfway through that bottle of Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill at 16 years old and going from Pee Wee Herman to John Travolta. I remember that day. I remember that moment like it was yesterday. I still remember what it feels like for that oxy to kick in. But I haven't had the obsession. I don't believe the lie anymore. I know where that's going. And here's the thing. I've got another option. I've got another option. I found the same feeling in that fifth step that I found halfway through that bottle of Boone's Farm. But now I don't have to chase it all the time. You know, you got with, the, with the booze and with the drugs, like you find that sweet spot for what? Five seconds maybe, right? That moment, and then you chase it the rest of the night, right? Or the, or the few days, whatever it, whatever it is, right? Me, I always overshot the mark both ways, you know? Too high, too low, too high, too low. Couldn't find that sweet spot again. I had found the sweet spot, and I was in it. And I can reach out for that anytime I want. And instead of, what is it, Carl Jung says, instead of going to the spirits, we go to the spirit. You know? The word for the solution is the same word as the problem. Oops. And that God, by the way, works through you guys. That's why I have to live in all three sides of that damn triangle, man. You know, God works in the recovery process. When I want to pray and meditate, I can reach out to God. During the day when I'm having troubles, I can reach out to God. Thank you. Right? A simple thank you gets me back focused on track again. Talking to Todd today, I was, for some reason, some days, I'm just anxiety-ridden. I don't know where it even comes from. No reason. There's nothing different in my life today than there was yesterday. But today, I'm just full of anxiety. So I'm in an elevator praying. Let it be your will. Show me the path. Take away my fear. Take away my anxiety. Show me how I can help somebody. Thank you. <laughs> you know? And, it, and it's, it's gone. I get the same thing from that as I got from the bottle. And God works through you. Thank God for this fellowship. There were times where I could not connect, but yet I could come to these rooms and feel the presence of God in these rooms because you're here and God works through you. And you guys, when I wanted to run home and hide under the covers... And I've gone through some shit in my recovery. And by the way, I think that's the only thing that, 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 that time means. 
You know, I don't think time means that I work this program any better than anybody that's sitting here. Because if you followed me around some days, you'd go, holy shit. You know, that guy's like, I'm not, that guy's a nightmare, man. You know, <laughs> did he just speak at Alcoholics and God last night? Because he don't look like he's working spiritual principles today. You know, what it means, though, is that I've weathered some storms. You know, I have weathered the health issues. I've weathered some deaths in sobriety, close family stuff. I've weathered some storms. I've weathered divorce and recovery. I'll tell you, sometimes I reach out to my sponsees and they think I'm checking up on them. And the shit, I want to get out of myself is what I'm trying to do. Hey, Todd, how you doing? You know, in the meantime, I just need to get out of my head. I just need to stop thinking for a minute. All three sides of those triangles are my opportunities to seek God. Through you, through the recovery process, and through sponsorship, through service. That's what I needed. Another option. Another option. I need something that would work as good as that booze worked. Now, I've got to be honest with you. As much as I got out of that, I, should, I held something back. It was that one thing. You know, and I had it on the paper. Coded. <laughs> it was coded. Only I knew what it was. And it was just, I just couldn't share it. I, even in confession, I was concerned with what he would think of me. I mean, how crazy is that? How self-absorbed am I? Where all I can think about is what other people think of me. I love what Russell says, right? But I'll tell you, I don't give a shit what people think about me. And all I think about is what other people think of me. (laughs) He says, normal people never say, I don't care what people think of me. Because they don't care what people think of them. I'm always saying it. I was afraid to be judged by a priest. And I would rather hang on to it. And be free. And then the question becomes, how free do you want to be, right? And, I, and, I'm, and I'm only sharing that with you because the, the, the paragraph at the bottom of page 75 talks about, have we been thorough? Have we shared everything? You know, reviewing the first five steps, proposals. You know, have we, have we been thorough? Are we convinced that we're alcoholics? Have we made the decision to seek God? Have, have we been as... Have we been thorough on our fourth step? Have we been thorough on our fifth step? They're asking us, have we held anything back? They're not asking us, are we going to remember more stuff? Of course we are. Who did a fifth step and remembered something else when they got home, right, or the next day? Everybody does, right? They're just asking me, did you purposely leave something out? And I did. And it was, hey, it was one of them things, young kid, experimenting kind of thing, you know what I mean? It was innocent, but I didn't want to be judged, And I, it'll be, what, I, what I've learned here is that you will deal with it or it will deal with you, one or the other. That, that it, you're either going to grow here or you're going to go here. You're going to have breakthroughs or breakdowns, you know. And how long can you hold your breath? How long can I deal with that? What am I willing? Am I willing to sacrifice my recovery? Am I willing to live that life of quiet desperation or am I willing to share that? It took me five years to share it. 
Took me five years to share it. And I'm sharing that with you because had I not done that fifth step with Father Quinn, I would not have had that experience, and I may not be here, and there might be a relapse in my story. I did the best I could at that time. And that's what I tell my guys. Do the best you can at this time. We're going to revisit it. Because in 10, we're going to revisit it. 10 is 4 through 9 all the time. We're going to be doing inventory. We're going to do confession. We're going to do restitution. We're going to be working these steps over and over again when we get to step 10. So here's the miracle of AA, right? So three of us got together and opened up this clubhouse, which is still around today, right? I'm not going to use the name, but it's still around. We opened up this clubhouse. Fifth chapter club moved from Lighthouse Point to uh, Lauder Hill. And we decided it was a void there, so we opened up this clubhouse, right? I'm in this clubhouse. Uh, my name's on the lease. I'm the treasurer, of course, because my name's on the lease. <laughs> Not a control thing, right? <laughs> so I'm five years sober, and somebody accuses me of taking money from the treasury. And spiritual Pat takes him out in the parking lot to kick his ass, right? That's, that's how I reacted to that. Right, like I mean, that's we're going to talk about a lot about six. I thought I'd get to six and seven today, but that ain't happening. But but we'll talk a lot about that. Yeah, that I, that I'm in control of my instinctual drives until you attack one of those instincts. Right, I'm doing just fine until you attack my reputation or you attack my bank account or you attack my relationship. I'm just fine. I'm walking a spiritual path till you touch on one of those, and then the shit's going to hit the fan. Right? So my sons are at this AA meeting with me. And I decide to kick this guy's ass in the parking lot, right? <laughs> My oldest son steps between us. And he's not one of us. I mean, he's, just, he's just like hanging out in the rooms with dad, you know? And I leave. I, throw, I end up throwing the checkbook. You take it. You can have it. Right? Took my name off the lease, and that was, and left. And, and, and went to a home group out in Westwood. So got a new men's group out in West Boca. And, uh, and I'm sitting in this men's group, and this guy, Howard, Howard Cohen, uh, is speaking that night. And Howard Cohen shares my secret from the podium. Not my secret, his secret, but it's my secret. From the podium, in a general way, he shares exactly what I refuse to share with a priest. Needless to say, I asked Howard to sponsor me. Right after that meeting, and Howard was my sponsor for the next 10 years up until the day he died. And, and I got free. I was able to share it with, with Howard. And like I say, I share that because don't not do your fourth and fifth step because of the one thing or the two things. Do the best you can at this time. You'll have opportunities to share that stuff. God will put people in your life. To help you through this journey. And that's what God did for me. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself. He put Howard in my life. Howard changed my life. Howard got me involved in service like nobody ever did. I was five years sober. I think I sponsored one guy. Howard had me sponsoring handfuls of guys. Taking guys through the steps every month. He got me involved. He got me in the middle of this thing. And one of the things, and we'll maybe talk about it later, is one of the things I struggled with was... Uh, sponsorship. You know, I didn't think I was good enough for it. I, I struggled with the God thing, and Howard got me so involved in sponsorship and in service that I was over to come maybe my shortcoming spiritually. 
Some of us excel in other things. Some of us are great at sponsorship. The God thing comes a little slower. Some people do great from the podium, but the service thing comes a little bit slower. What I always say to my guys when we're done with this fifth step is, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. This is the foundation. These are the five that you got to do to move on to start sponsoring people. Yeah, Yeah, we're going to touch on six and seven. Six and seven is going to take you the rest of your freaking life. Right? Yeah, we're going to get started on steps eight and nine. Eight and nine is going to take you the rest of your freaking life. <laughs> you know? Right? 10, 11, and 12 is the rest of your life. Right? That is the design for living. That is the steps in action. Right? These are the five that you have to do to, to get your foundation together. Right? And the bedrock of that foundation is what? Desperation. Desperation. I was desperate. I was desperate enough to believe that what you said was true and, and take a leap of faith. And now I have faith. Now I know that God is. After my fifth step, I know that God is. I was willing to believe up to that point. But at that point, I know God is because God entered my heart. There's the solution that Alcoholics Anonymous has to offer, right? The great fact is just this and nothing less that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences that have revolutionized our lives. The central fact of my life today that God entered my heart in a way which is indeed miraculous, lives in a way which is indeed miraculous, and commences to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And what I couldn't do for myself was stay stopped. And now it seems like through no effort on my part. It's like not even an issue. It's always an option, by the way. I never say that. I never say it's not an option. Always an option. Always an option. But it's not an issue for me anymore. You know? I know, I know, I have another option. I have another solution. These are the five you have to do. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous at this point. And then next week we'll get in to, to the change, right? Now we know what needs to be changed. We've, we've looked at our grosser handicaps, it says. It knows, I know what, my, what, what I'm, the energy that I'm dealing with in life. The energy I'm using to live life is like dishonesty, inconsideration, selfishness, self-centeredness, fear. In consideration, that's, those, that's the energy behind my life at that moment. I need to change that. In the six and seven, we get the tools to change. Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. Six and seven are the two steps Bill added. You know, two of them. Uh, you know he's working from us. We talk about that. At, well, we don't talk about it here. But there was a six-step program they were working on. If you don't think that's true, go to page 263. Earl Treat's story is right there. The six steps are listed right there that Bob took him through. You know, in an afternoon, by the way. But Bill adds one and two, right? The surrender step, they had surrender, inventory, confession, restitution, helpfulness to others, and a dependence on God, a belief in a dependence upon God, the six-step program. Bill adds one and two, facing defeat and admitting it and appealing to a higher power. He adds six and seven, the tools of change. He adds an eighth step to get ready to make your amends. And he adds a spot check inventory in step 10. And there's your 12 steps. But six and seven is, I believe, everything leads here and everything leads back here. Everything has been about exposing these defects of character. Everything has been, has been about exposing the need for me to satisfy these instinctual drives, the need, the perversion of these instinctual drives for pleasure, basically. 
It's, it's all been exposed now. And we're going to see when we get to 10, 11, and 12, everything's going to lead right back there. You know? I think it peaks right here. You know? If we don't change, nothing can change. And I don't think there's a coincidence that 6 and 7 is plugged in between 5 and 8 and 9. Because you know? when we go to make amends to people in 8 and 9, we better show up different. You know? There better be more than just a proclamation that I've changed. There better be some kind of demonstration because people have heard I'm sorry from us for years. You know, I've changed. Now show me you've changed. You know, that's a Bud Reichardt saying. Don't tell me you've changed. Show me you've changed. Show me something different. Thanks for letting me be here. Now. All right, let's thank Pat one more time. And now we're going to introduce our secretary, who's also me tonight. Um, I'm still James, and I'm still a recovered alcoholic. <laughs> um, in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, we're now going to pass around the baskets. Um, I've asked April to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what exactly that means to be a recovered alcoholic. Please welcome up April. April, alcoholic. April. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now somewhere alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, April. 1940s style big book sponsorship from forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time. And neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistic above suggests a 75% success rate. <laughs> um, can we uh, see a hand of recovered alcoholics out there? Oh, God, the whole room. It's great. Uh, does anyone need a sponsor in the room? Oh, great. What's your name? Alexa. Alexa. Let's help get Alexa back to God. Um, so please join us Monday nights for the Big Book Study meeting. Where the book book comes alive, that's fellowship at 6.30, and the big book meeting starts at 7.15. There's CDs, uh, mugs, large print big books, and little red books in the back for sale. I don't have any meetings for, uh, meetings. I don't have any announcements for A tonight. Um, so let me finish up this page. Apologize, I got them all jumbled now. All right, so we have tonight's session and all past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Again, please come to the Monday Night Big Book Study if you're interested. And to those who would like to thank Pat, you can line up down the center aisle. We're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Now, growing vines, they 
twist and turn each way Flowers blooming all the time That's at my door Never before I had to change everything to realize That today is the best day of my life Cause this broken man I traveled far and wide Through the great divide Through his own heart, yeah Just about to start. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
statement to say, God won't man, just won't say. 